Google and Facebook completely dominate the internet. There has never been a duopoly that so dominated a medium and was so free of government restraint, or self-restraint for that matter. It's an arrogant duopoly who have refused to abide by widely accepted standards of measurement, openness, and transparency. They are the key defenders and benefactors of tracking. They are in the surveillance business and making billions doing it. And welcome to episode four of Silence, Please, the podcast where we use themes from Bob Hoffman's book, Bad Men, to start long overdue conversations about the state of the online advertising industry. You have to be mighty naive to believe that they have all the information, but we are in charge. In this episode, we'll be discussing the duopoly, the two websites who have come to dominate the online advertising industry, Google and Facebook. Today, we're joined by Kevin Joyner, Director of Planning and Insight at Crowd, Ben Portnoy, Director of Media and Analytics at De Winters, and lastly, Owen Pringle, partner of the ARC Group and former Global Director of Digital at Amnesty International. So, we're recording this podcast in April. Last week, Facebook's Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg faced a grilling from the US Congress over privacy and the data-sharing scandal. But first, I want to try and work out how Facebook and Google have come to be as powerful and as influential as they are. In Bad Men, Bob Hoffman says that together Google and Facebook own 77% of the US advertising budget. How have we found ourselves in this position, Ben? I think there's two main reasons. One is the convenience of using those platforms and that they're very easy for consumers to access. And I think the other part is that those suppliers have embraced the marketplace and seen what their competitors are doing and absorbed a lot of the tech and tools and platforms in a better, convenient way. You take the convenience for consumers and the fact they've embraced what their competitors are doing, it's enabled them to grow dramatically and using data and insights to fuel further growth. What are your thoughts, Owen? They've created needs where there were none before. And the value of that, I think, has usurped the value we put on our own data and the control of that data. Kevin? They've both done two things simultaneously. One, created amazing products that achieve that dominance in the marketplace. And the other thing they've done at the same time is been real pioneers in this idea that your users are your product and that they are monetizing that success in the growing user base. How much do you all advertise with Google and Facebook? Do you spend 77% of your budgets on advertising with them? Ben? I wouldn't say it's as much as 70%, but you know they do take up a fair proportion of our spend. I think the Google tech stack makes it very easy for advertisers to increasingly use more parts of their portfolio as opposed to using competitor products. Could you explain what that is, the Google ad tech stack yeah sure so we use you know google's obviously very well established for ppc advertising and then on top of that you've got youtube and then on top of that you've got dbm which is google's platform to access programmatic advertising which most people will be familiar with from a retargeting perspective and then you've also got a whole load of different data tools and other systems which add into that technology platform all of the google stuff sits within one separated universe which means it's very easy to use all of the different bits of tech together the ease of using their platforms means that from an agency's perspective specifically we're able to do more work better more quickly from using a a set of technology platforms which are all interwoven how do you use facebook we use facebook largely from a content perspective so a way to put interesting 
bits of video and editorial in front of the right audiences. I mean, the benefit of Facebook is that you can be really highly targeted. Facebook and Instagram, you can be really highly targeted to a relevant audience with interesting things and you can judge how well those bits of content land with different audiences. So you have a really good understanding of this works best with whom. What kind of data typically might Facebook give you when it comes to your targeting options? Well, everything from people's likes and interest and age and demographic through to their how many people are within their family. And then there are also third-party data segments which you can overlay over the top, which come at an extra cost but enable you to you know, look into a whole load of different habits and behavioural opinions and insights. I mean, what do you think it means for the consumer that these two platforms own so much data and then resell that data? I think people aren't thinking in a way that perhaps they need to about the ownership and the value of that data. Although obviously it's been brought into sharp focus quite recently with the Cambridge Analytica investigation. And the likelihood is that there will be more large-scale breaches that will need to happen before this stuff really becomes centre stage in terms of you know the consumer's mind. Do you think people care about privacy and data? Yeah, I don't think they do to a large scale as yet. I do think that within the next few years, legislation will close the gap on technology. Technology has historically had a much greater lead on legislation thus far, and legislation has followed by some years. I think the EU has been quite proactive in trying to close that gap, and obviously with GDPR, it again puts that into sharp focus. I love the GDPR. I absolutely love it. I think it's so progressive, got so much respect for the legislators who unusually, as you pointed out, that they've led the curve in front of technology, quite unusually, the beginning of it, that recognises the individual's right to the protection of the data that describes them as a human right in the same way that European legislation recognises the right to sort of freedoms and to a family life and to be able to have a business life as well. These like fundamental human rights, that's astonishing that somebody's woken up and realised hold on a minute, I don't exist properly if we don't count my data that describes me and it's mine and it's part of who I am. That's the reality of the 21st century. And we're seeing that in law now and really clever things about how to deal with that challenge are all in that law. Ben, are you similarly enthusiastic about the GDPR? I think there's a lot of great things that come out of it. I think the clearing up of bad data from the marketplace is going to be excellent. I think there's going to be less data, which is more accurate and more valuable, which means that marketers in the long term are going to be able to do a better job. I think there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of it for consumers understanding the value exchange with brands and with the internet. I hear very regularly how annoying advertising is and how annoying it is that people are essentially serving consumers relevant content. And I think that the... GDPR is going to help establish the role of data in the internet and in the wider marketplace. I think that there are obviously some challenges from a performance marketing perspective. That's a marketing issue and something which is less relevant for consumers, but it's going to have a backlash on a whole load of suppliers within the ad tech industry, within the marketing industry, and for people selling stuff. It will will reinforce the duopoly that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm under the impression that it's very easy for Google and Facebook to just put one disclaimer out that says opt-in to continue using our platforms. People won't even think twice because they're used to opting in on those platforms. So the question to do do inters spend more than 70% of their clients' revenue or their ad spend in the duopoly platforms, not at the moment, but give it a year's time, I'd be very surprised if we're not spending far more than 70%. Mm. That's interesting. So do you think that GDPR will will benefit Facebook and Google in 
in terms of how much we spend with them in the future. I think it's given them a, a big red button. They've had this big red button that's like an earthquake button in the digital ad industry, and they haven't had to press it, but the GDPR has made them. What I'm talking about is it being so difficult to comply with the spirit and the law of the GDPR unless you connect advertising data to the individual. And that's one of the things the GDPR does, is it sees what we used to think of as anonymous, not personally identifiable data as like, it doesn't matter. Well, it says that it does, that it is personal, because it ultimately is connected to the individual. It's what makes those ads chase you around the internet. Therefore, the only businesses that can help us deal with things like consent are the ones that have logins that are popular and that everybody uses that connect all that data to the individual, the identifiable individual. That's Google and Facebook. We need those companies, really, to realise that while they've got this uh, really excellent position where they're really making a lot of money out of a duopoly over the, over the industry, that communication with somebody who wants to receive it, because they've given their consent and because they've invited a relationship, will make more money. That will make more money if, if they allow that to happen. So it's a bit like all the data ends up under their control and perhaps the industry that we're working in at the moment changes quite dramatically and we can only hope and look forward to a moment when they go, OK, I wonder what will happen if we hand the keys back to the user. I think that's a really interesting perspective in the, uh, in the, the sense that uh, the corollary of all of this, I think, is that the consumer ultimately probably will gain control mm. of their data again. So mm. the last data protection legislation is just over 20 years old. Things are increasing and changing at a, a rapidly increasing rate. So will how long will GDPR be relevant? And you know, will we have to change that legislation again in less than 10 years? Uh, the likelihood is probably. Perhaps at that point, there needs to be a new economy around how data is, is owned. And the ownership of that data goes back to the consumer. And they themselves are not only the owner, but the marketer of that data. And they themselves use that data as an economic tool, a currency, if you like, in its own right. Mm. The future of Facebook, for example, be to split the platform you know, the thing that connects the users with the content, with the technology uh, from the revenue generation side. Will they need to do that before antitrust comes in and does it for them, you know, is a question that I think will probably need to be asked in the next decade or so. I mean, Facebook and Google have market dominance now, but what about Amazon and Apple? What are they up to? I mean, I guess uh, Amazon obviously in, is owning any space that they enter, which is kind of scary. They have a amazing impact on industries that they say they're about to enter you know so they've mentioned uh, healthcare recently dentistry you know just sort of really off-key industries and the share price in organizations who are leading in that space suddenly drops just by an announcement or a rumor so you know sort of rumor capitalism if you like it's quite weird so i think amazon have a quite a unique position in the respect that they will probably own any channel to market that um, involves a transaction I don't think really Apple will be a long-term player in that respect because they are more focused on the hardware. Their software is not great. Their user experiences, apart from in the hardware, isn't great. So I think that, you know, over time that that will become an issue for them. But for Amazon, I believe that, you know, they're just beginning. Ben, what's your experience of working with Amazon? I think Amazon's an interesting one. I went to a talk from one of the business development guys at Amazon a couple of years ago, and he talked about how if somebody has an idea within Amazon, they can take it to their department lead and they're given the freedom for up to a year to move away from their jobs so long as that business proposition has been approved. And then after that year, it's given a sort of an evaluation. Then they get one more year to make the business something which is viable. And at that point, 
they either carry on with the business or they go back to their original job. So Amazon are actively encouraging people to internally think about different ways to grow their business, which I think is fascinating. And a great example is Amazon recently moved into the ticketing space. So everything I work on is a ticketing product. Amazon came in with a lot of investment and a lot of gusto, and they shook up the ticketing space aggressively. Now, whilst their ticketing venture ultimately turned out to be unsuccessful because it's a very complex marketplace which has got lots of competition a lot of people who work in that space already have masses of data on the consumers who buy tickets for specific events amazon saw an opportunity because they really understand their consumers and they thought they had a good perspective over who would be interested in what now ticketing didn't work but the fact that amazon through selling physical products as well as digital and online products have got a massive data pool and understanding over how consumers behave means that for me out of all the suppliers probably the ones who are going to have the biggest opportunity for significant growth over the next few years there's a big conversation about the convenience of privacy and for me you can probably look at a few different demographics and you can see a sliding scale people who have grown up with tech and digital devices are happy to forego their privacy for convenience for instance I don't care that Uber knows everywhere that I go but when I land in LA I don't want to see an advert for a Mexican restaurant in London I want to see a recommendation for something in LA that's making my life easier so long as my data is protected safely, I'm firmly in the category of I don't mind people understanding my digital footprint if it makes my life easier. I would imagine increasingly that will be the case on the proviso that data is managed and kept safely. Right. Let's get into Cambridge Analytica, the consultancy firm accused of improperly accessing the data of millions. Ben, why should we in online advertising be concerned with this story? How does it relate to our industry? I think it's concerning from an advertising perspective for two reasons. One is that consumers will increasingly have more disdain or lack of trust for the platforms which marketers really, really make the most of. And I think it also raises a whole load of questions about data security and also the quality of data which we're using. Kev, what impact do you think this has on our industry, everything that's happened with Cambridge Analytica? For a long time, people have been telling me that, you know, normal people, typical people aren't like you, Kevin. They don't care about privacy. If you're trying to build propositions or persuade people with arguments about privacy, it won't work. And in fact, if you give them options that help them take control of their data, they won't take them if it requires effort. And, you know, I hope a little bit that with the Cambridge Analytica scandal, that might just begin to change. Because you've got Rory Kevin Jones on the BBC News talking about things like personal data and choices that you make about personal data, about the responsibilities of business like Facebook in, you know, in terms that people can understand. And, yeah, I think it may raise the profile of the issue. The public reaction, I think, has shifted. I think people do care more now as a result of what's happened. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know for how long that will last in its current form. I do think that it will take probably a large data breach for people to really get to the stage where they think, actually, this isn't quite what I signed up for. With regard to Cambridge Analytica and its impact on the industry, over time, I believe that there will need to be, uh, I guess, a redressing of balance in terms of how the organisations manage that data. I think the issue there was about transparency, impropriety of information, if you like, if you think about the, the way in which it was moved from one party to another and the nature by which it was done so without consent. So Facebook aren't doing anything that you haven't given them permission to do 
other than the fact that the information that was used was only supposed to be used for research purposes and it wasn't. But, you know, other than that, did they actually break any laws? No. That's the key issue there. What's pivotal maybe about this with Cambridge Analytica is that it has to do with the manipulation of democracy. It's not that, oh, you know, how inconvenient, I've got to change my password, or some business that I didn't want to or, you know, didn't know that they might are going to show me adverts. It's the outcome of the UK's relationship with Europe for years to come may have been influenced by negligence on Facebook's part. So that's why the journalists are suddenly you know, vibrant about this and why it might have a lasting impact, because it, it's more fundamental, the effect, when it comes down to things like the outcome of elections. Ben, do you think what's happening now could erode the power of the big two? I think it will probably play into their hands more, because I think as data becomes more topical, people are more likely to be distrustful of other environments, and I think they're more quickly to provide... Facebook and Google with an opt-in because they'll see those as safe environments that they're familiar with. I think something that is really interesting that comes out of all the stuff with Cambridge Analytica, though, is and something which Bob Hoffman also touches on, is whose responsibility is it to make sure that data is looked after in an appropriate way? And a lot of what Bob Hoffman talks about, it comes across as his feeling is that it's the agency's responsibility and the agencies have helped lead the well, lack of transparency and confusion around the digital marketplace and the data within there, which is, you know, coming from an agency perspective, a part of me can understand what he's saying, but also agencies are increasingly pressurised from both clients and also from the media suppliers that they're working with. And when I read the book, the annotations that I put repeatedly was regulators and governmental authorities. And now that the EU stuff has happened and the Trump presidency, which made the most of data and social platforms, I think the outcome of that means that governments are going to be far more involved in helping curtail the duopoly and the big ad tech suppliers. And for me, that is probably where it should sit because everybody else involved after the governments are just people who are trying to do a good job and make a business work. Talk about terms and conditions. As a consumer of both of those platforms, Google and Facebook, It's our responsibility to agree and understand their terms and conditions. Do you think it's fair to expect us to do that when they are so dense and complicated? Kev, do you read those T's and C's before you uh, click yes? No. Because I recognise that I basically don't have a choice. You know, I've already decided to accept them before I see them because that decision was taken when I downloaded the app or visited the website and began to fill in fill in the form. I think there are problems with them being all or nothing and them not having flexibility to pick and choose. I think technologies can solve that problem, but that it requires incentive, including commercial incentive, in order to put those things in place, and that's very hard to find. But the law does as well think about, well, never mind the terms and conditions, what do we need to protect? And it's things like being able to request all the data and see it, to delete it if you want to, to take it to another provider. And so the new law almost skips around the problem with terms and conditions, comments about consent, but makes sure that despite them, we've got the powers as an individual over our data anyway. Ben, what are your thoughts? For me, the question which I ask myself regularly and which you know I'm not too sure what the best way to move forward is, is what does that mean for consumers and consumers' education? Because... 
we can only move forward with an understanding over how the internet works and how people share their data if the people who are having their data shared understand what that's all about. And I find it very difficult to see a way in which most consumers are really going to understand the value exchange for a long time. So I think the next five, ten years is going to see a lot of turbulent changes because how does your average Joe who doesn't work in digital or ad tech or marketing really understand how their data is being used, what's it being used for, and doesn't just take a an approach of no one can have any of my data, I don't want anyone to know anything, which is not the best case scenario to move forward for advertising or technology or to have relevant communicators in front of them. You need ads to make the internet survive. Do you think there's a future in which companies like Google and Facebook don't actually require this much data to sell their advertising solutions? Perhaps, and I'm sure they take in lots of bits of data which they don't use. From Google and Facebook's perspective, the more data they have, the smarter they can be with their targeting. So, you know, even if they only use 2% of the data, they may find out in three years' time they can use an extra 1%, which is going to significantly improve their solution. So you could be, you know, just targeting people based on the context of the page and you wouldn't need to use any of the data that you have on specific users. But if you can combine the context on the page with knowing that person's demographic and age and background and friends, then you can sell that advertising for a higher premium and be more relevant from an advertiser's perspective. What are your thoughts, Kevin? There's been a sort of almost watershed in the last few months as well with machine learning. And we see that in consumer products, but it's also at work in ad tech. So this question, are they collecting data that they don't need to use? Well, yeah, of course, because not knowing that you need it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you just put it in an artificial intelligence that might lead you to optimizations to the product or a new tool for your customers, and you don't have to understand it anymore. Kev, I know you're a big fan of Doc Searles and his book, The Intention Economy. One of the things that Doc says is that we're going to move away from an attention economy to an intention economy where people are given a mechanism to simply reveal their intentions. So if you're going on holiday in two weeks to the south of France, you could say I'm in the market for a fly, a hotel, nice restaurant. Wouldn't that be a lot easier for all of us as people were motivated to reveal their intentions? Let's not forget that Google, one of the two companies we've been talking so much about, has been so successful because they monetized intent in the first place. That's what search marketing is. I think Doc's onto something. Yeah, of course he is. And he crops up more and more in the books that we continue to read about how the ad industry is evolving. Arguably, you could say that the very tip of the iceberg of the intention economy has been seen through Cambridge Analytica. You know, how do you intend to vote? How can we understand what the likelihood is of you voting in a certain way is based on what we know of you already. So I think that there's a um, degree of that that is probably happening already. The tricky question is, to what degree do organisations like Google and Facebook have an impact on how you change your intention? You know, So what, how are they influencing that intention in the first place versus that being an independent and free-thinking idea in your own mind? Let's conclude by looking at a post-GDPR world. Let's look into our crystal balls. I'd like to get your thoughts on where you think both of these companies will be in a year from now once this legislation's had time to bed in. For me, I think that Facebook will have moved more into the DR side of things. I think that Facebook already has a suite of tools which enable you to drive sales very efficiently. But as it becomes more difficult to do programmatic and retargeting, Outside of the Google or Facebook world, I think Facebook will increase its market share in that space. And I think that Google will continue to 
consolidate and have ownership over the wider digital world. I also think on the side of that, though, there'll be a resurgence of the importance of a truly integrated marketing plan. And the problem with digital is often two people focus too much on the insights we have from digital channels. And it's from a marketing perspective will mean that people will have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture more and understand the role of context and content and awareness, as opposed to just looking at the intricacies of detail that you're able to access through the data platforms that we currently use. Owen. In preparing for this session, one of the most fascinating stats that I read was that uh, the duopoly Google and Facebook, in terms of their market capitalization, is worth more than the top five global advertising agencies, top five telecoms companies, and top five media companies combined. That's a staggering statistic. I don't think that multiple will decrease. I think it will grow. GDPR will not change the operations of those businesses significantly. Kevin? New product features introduced so that they align with the GDPR mean that they'll be respecting their users more. The other thing I think is that they'll both be enjoying bigger revenues because overall of the competitive advantage caused by the law. And the third thing is, this is my prediction, they will both have at least one big court case live where they're being sued under the GDPR. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to our wonderful guests, Kevin Joyner, Director of Planning and Insight at Crowd, Ben Portnoy, Director of Media and Analytics at De Winters, and Owen Pringle, partner of the ARC Group and former Global Director of Digital at Amnesty International. A massive thanks to Bob Hoffman for recording extracts from his book, especially for this podcast. I'm Lee Henshaw, one of the owners of Silence Media. This series is produced by Jesse Lawson at Reduced Listening. Our music is by Super Thriller. Next time on Silence Please, digital pollution. Is tracking a form of digital pollution? Is it as damaging as trolling and fake news? Find out next episode. <laughs>